Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio, your one stop for creative inspiration. We have a terrific hour of ideas and tips for you today, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I have, uh, I'm so excited because I get to talk to Kathy Tracy about reproduction fabric and little quilts, although she makes big quilts too, and get some tips about um, the type of quilt making that she does. So Kathy, thanks for being here. I hope you're staying warm outside Chicago. Hi Pat, thanks. Yeah, it's a uh... It's kind of a, a nice winter day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to pile on a lot of little quilts. You need to get those big quilts That's out, the right? That's thing, yeah. Yeah, you can't do a lot with little quilts. <laughs> no. Now, you can, you you can make have... them and show them off, but... You have a huge love of quilts, and you're, I always think of, of your work as like your paint palette is reproduction fabrics. Um, why do you love reproductions? I love reproduction fabrics. Um Fabric inspires me in general, and it, it always has, and it's what pulled me into quilting. But I think the reproduction fabrics, it draws me into a different world. And I love a lot of things 19th century, you know, literature and poetry, mm-hmm. and reading about the quilts that women made, antique quilts, scrappy quilts. It's the fabric that really draws you in, I think. So that's, you know, and getting to replicate some of them with patterns that, uh, you know, that the designers make and the fabric designers, fabric, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just inspirational. So And, and collecting them and too, right? And yeah. collecting them, right, right, right. I mean, I love all fabric. I love, I love bright fabric, but I think my heart is in the, you know, the old, you know, the older um, looking mm-hmm. stuff just because it's, you know, it's the past. You know, I uh, I love following uh, your blog. It's sentimentalquilter.blogspot.com. Oh, yeah, you 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 know show really lovely, you know things that you're working on, but then things that you visit. Uh, and your company name is Country Lane Quilts. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, Kathy, tell me, you have sort of a, a funny little um, way that you found quilt making that you sort of like <laughs> had to make a quilt. <laughs> Well, I had to make a book maybe, but um, I think I was always a quilter. I think there was always a, you probably heard people say this, there's always a, there was a quilter inside of them. Mm-hmm. I loved quilts. I, I'm the first quilter in my family, but my mother sewed, my sister sewed, and I sewed a little bit in high school and, and college. But making quilts, it just seemed, I don't know, I think I was a little scared. I was terrified, actually, of making a large quilt. I would go into, you know, I'd see quilt shows, and I'd go into um, quilt shops, actually, even before I was a quilter, and I'd see these big, complex quilts, and I just, I knew I couldn't do that. I knew I couldn't do that. I wanted to, but I just didn't know how to take, you know, the first step. And so, <coughs> excuse me, um, when my daughter was little, so I, I had that nagging thing that I wanted to make quilts, mm-hmm. you know, and when my daughter was really little, um, she would take her Beanie Babies and her little dolls before she went to bed, and she would line them up on her bed, and that was her way of, you know, getting ready for bed. So I peeked into her room one one night, and I saw that she had taken 
a piece of Kleenex tissue, Kleenex oh. tissue, and covered each one of her little baby babies <laughs> up. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is really kind of pathetic. Why can't I make her something? So that kind of pushed me into, you know, okay, sewing something. So I sewed little, you know, I went to Joanne's the next day and I got some mm-hmm. little fabric panels and I sewed some, you know, some small things and I made some little dolly, you know, things for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just that simple, just that simple thing of, that that act of sewing, mm-hmm. just really, it just really got me excited. So I found a Martingale book. I don't know if you remember the Little Quilts Ladies. They're still yes. around, but not often. But this was like in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. I found a Little Quilts book, and I made a quilt from there. And oh my gosh, it was just it got me hooked, and it was so satisfying. And they used a lot of scrappy, you know, scrappy mm-hmm. fabrics. And so I started collecting fabrics, you know, small pieces of fabric, and I started making some small quilts. <coughs> Excuse me. And then... I think it's pretty neat you that, know, that you, you know, sort of found this book with small quilts, and it suited your um, sort of learning stage, right? Well, because that's exactly it. it gave, what it did was it gave me the courage to take the first step. Mm-hmm. I looked at the big quilts, and I think, oh, I don't know that I could, you know, I couldn't, I don't think I could do that. But I looked at the small quilts, and I thought, well, I can do that. And so I tried, and, you know, I did. I made some small quilts, and I found a lot of women. I started making up kits, and I started going to craft shows, and I developed a website, and I had a lot of followers. And there were women who were like me, mm-hmm. who liked to craft, and they liked to sew, but maybe they didn't, you know, quite have the confidence to make something really complex or, you know, very... Right you know, very large. So, so it was a good, it was a good learning thing for me, you know, and I, I think that's one of the things I like to with my books to show people that they can start small. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, this is the way that children started quilting or sewing right? a hundred, you know, 200 years ago, you know, by yeah, making small make dowsels. And right. yeah, just very. to practice your skills. So it's a good way to practice your skills. And, you know, then they go on to making, you know, more complex quilts. You know, I thought we could explore just a little bit about scrap quilts because mm-hmm. one of the things is you you are sort of, I think, a master <laughs> at making scrap small scrap quilts because I think they're harder to do personally than a big scrap quilt where your eye can sort of separate, you know, yeah. like the cottage fabric from the Civil War fabric because they're, you know, way other parts of the quilt. But when you have a little quilt, what are some tips for you know, selecting it so that it's scrappy still. Well, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. And what I do is I use a lot of, um, when I go into a quilt shop, and fabric companies probably hate this, but I don't buy yards and yards and yards of one, you know, one print. Mm-hmm. I like to buy smaller cuts, half yards or quarter yards, of a lot of different. So I, if... Mm-hmm. I get really overwhelmed, what I'll do is I'll say, okay, today let's just buy red. And I'll buy maybe 10 different cuts of reds, all different prints, but in the same tone, so that I have a nice selection. And then I suggest that people do that, you know, when they shop. Buy a lot of different prints. And then when you're making a block, use some different, you know, in each block, use a different red or use a different print of blue or brown or whatever. And that, even if you're making a nine patch or a simple Mm -hmm. churn dash block, you get more of a complex complex look in your mm-hmm. quilt because you're using the prints and the prints are actually kind of fooling the eye into making a very simple block or a simple pattern look a little more complicated than it really is. 
you know, I think that that's the key is that you get the, the, the scrappiness for a small piece in the tone so that it's, mm-hmm. you know, you don't tone, have a, right. one really bright red and one, <laughs> you know, sticking out as the right. only thing in this little 8 by 10 you know, quilt, which would... Right. It would be like yelling at you, hey, look yeah. at me. Um, yeah, and sometimes what I do is if I, have, if I have fabric that I like that, it just seems a little too bright, I'll just mm-hmm. take it and I'll soak it in a cup of tea, mm-hmm. a little bit of the fabric. Not the whole piece and not the block. Right. I don't tea dye my quilts or anything. Yeah. But to just tone down a little bit of the brightness or something, I'll put it, you know, I'll put it in some tea or coffee, you know, instant mm-hmm. coffee or something, and then just it gives it that little sort of a muted tone. Right. And, it it know, works really well. Yeah, that I've done that, you know, too. Yeah. It, that does really it just sort of brings it in line with everybody else. Um, one of the things that you do, Kathy, is you bring a little bit of history into your mm-hmm. your books and your patterns and your, your I'm sure into your classes. <laughs> uh, tell me, just you know, sort of briefly, what what kind of stories do you bring to go with your quilts? Your, your history stories. Well. <laughs> a hard question. Yeah, okay, you got you got me there. It's not a hard question. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. I kind of fell into it. Um, I like to say that my kids kind of inspired me. My daughter inspired me to to make my to write my first book, mm-hmm. and my son was very interested in um, a little bit of history. There's a little pioneer village in our town, and every year the kids in that classroom go to um, visit the village. And they keep a diary when they're studying the pioneers. Mm-hmm. And my son wrote a really adorable little diary about what it was like for a child to come from Europe to America. And after I read that, I started thinking, I had already written my first book, I started thinking, I wonder if there were diaries that were written by actual children, mm-hmm. actual diaries. And there were. And so that was my second book, Prairie Children and Their Quilts. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of led to a diary about a woman from Remembering Adelia, the book Remembering Adelia, who wrote a diary about, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Civil War. And then the second, the third book, or I'm sorry, the fourth book, was the Civil War Sewing Circle. <clears throat> ah. So all of my books kind of just lead to another yeah. period of history or another era of quilting and history. And I know it just makes the past come alive, I think. And I think for women today, I think quilting um, and looking at antique quilts, excuse me, is it's like a tangible way of perceiving the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I see signatures on quilts. And it makes the past come alive because you wonder, what were those women doing? Oh, you know, I who think, were they making yeah. this quilt for? Yeah. Why, was, why were they making it? And I agree. So I kind of like to interrelate all of that into my patterns. I just I love that part too, Kathy. I love thinking who made this and why were they making it and no. were they making it for somebody and you know what was going on in their lives. Um, so you know, in your in your book, we have about a minute in the small and scrappy um, pine size patchwork quilts. This is your newest one that's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is you know one of the sort of maybe just tell us about one quilt in you know in it. Well, one of my favorite quilts, and it's not the most complicated quilts, but the book was originally, when I turned in the proposal, it was going to be called Papa's Shirts and Mama's Dresses. And that was to indicate that what I did with the quilts, when I was designing the quilt and thinking about the book, 
I was using scraps of shirtings, and I was using scraps of reproduction fabrics, and a lot of these were reminiscent of the shirts that Papa wore 150 years ago or the dresses that women wore. And so I used those, and I didn't tell anybody that I was using that title for the book. But around that time, a friend of mine sent me from Virginia. She's from Virginia. Oh, Kathy, this is such a great story. She sent me me a quilt. And and it was a tiny little little quilt. And she said, I wanted this, you know, Merry Christmas. It was a quilt for me. And it was made with blues and shirtings. And and she said, I was going to my husband. Oh, no. We'll have to give you a link online, Kathy. Thank you. Join the One Million Pillowcase Challenge in March for the Ultimate Pillowcase Competition. Gather a team and compete in one of two categories during the month of March to make pillowcases, earn points, and maybe be crowned the Ultimate Pillowcase Champion. The top three teams in each category will be awarded cash prizes. Even if you're not forming a team, you can watch all the action with weekly voting and daily prizes. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash pillowcase madness for more information. Quilt Along with us in 2017. Join our fourth annual Quilt Along by stitching a wall hanging, a throw, or a one-block table topper, or all three projects. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash quilt along for a list of participating bloggers and designers and to see photos of what staff members and other readers are sewing. Share your photos on social media by using the hashtag APQQuiltAlong to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's podcast. Um, I'm going to find a link to some information about the latest book that um, Kathy was telling us about and put that on my website. So many of you are going to totally recognize successful author and online teacher Nancy Scott of Masterpiece Quilting. You know her really um, wonderful twist on modern, on uh, traditional quilts that makes them a little bit more contemporary. And uh, I am, we're going to talk today. So uh, Nancy, I am really glad that you're here. Thanks for jumping in. Well, thanks so much for inviting me, Pat. I really appreciate it. You know, I love that when you started your business, um, that you decided that the way to start was to enter competition. Like, who does that, Nancy? (laughs) (laughs) Only those of us who are, like, really competitive people do that. Um, (laughs) But I guess after going to quilt shows, you know, you're so inspired, and it's like, oh, I want to be that person. I want to make that quilt that's hanging there. And um, so that was where I really started when I got into designing was kind of the the backwards approach. I knew what I wanted my quilt to look like, you know, Mm -hmm. hanging there in the show, of course, with the purple ribbon, you know, but yes. (laughs) Um, But it was coming up with that pattern um, Mm -hmm. that was going to let me have all of the space, the negative space that we could put the really fancy quilting in. Mm -hmm. And then to come up with the designs that supported 
the quilting and mm-hmm. to get the balance between the two because we can only have one star of the show. We either need the quilting to be the star of the show or we need mm-hmm. the piecing and the pattern to be. So that's where I kind of really started my designing was so that I could come up with uh, quilt tops that I could then quilt <laughs> to enter into shows. <laughs> so, so you had a, you had a method to your madness. You had a, a theme, you know, like a purpose. Okay, we need yes. space. Um, <laughs> So how many shows did you enter? You know, did you enter a lot? Yeah, I probably had quilts in, I want to say probably 20 national shows between wow. AQS, QuiltCon, um, some of the larger um, Shipshawana Quilt Festival. Mm-hmm. I've been in it um, every year they've had it. Um, so a lot of the bigger shows, you know, are regional shows. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just one of those things. I kept doing it, but every show you go to, it was like, Oh my gosh, the quilted one is even cooler than the one that you saw last year, you know. <laughs> so you just kind of feel like you're you're in this never-ending cycle of yeah. um, always doing better, never feeling content, and it takes obviously quite a while to to create a show quilt. Mm-hmm. So you're you're chasing your own tail the whole time. Um, yeah, and so, you know. So you sort of made a, a change at one point to to go a different path uh, because you, um, you know, you have a lot of successful books and a lot of classes now. What did, sort of, how did that shift happen for you? Actually, what happened was an editor of one of the quilting magazines um, saw my quilts at a quilt show. And she approached me afterwards and she's like, who designed that quilt? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that particular show didn't, lots of times they'll list who the designers Mm -hmm. are. And Mm -hmm. she's like, who designed that quilt? And I said, I did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she looks at me and she's like, will you submit it for publication? And, I mean, I was just like, you know, jaw on the floor. Like, (laughs) well, yeah, I guess I will. Had never really thought about that aspect of the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, So there became my first published quilt pattern, and then it it all kind of clicked. It's like I had all these designs, all these sketches Mm -hmm. of what were going to be future show quilts, and um, (laughs) now they've ended up being patterns for other people to use and to enjoy. Now, your business is called Masterpiece Quilting, um, but so much of your work, it's not like fiddly small taking thousands of hours to do. you know, so what is the style quilt that you're designing right now? Yeah, right now what I'd like to do is to take traditional quilt blocks, something that anyone who's familiar with quilting would recognize, but then kind of update them, either give them a playful twist um, or something that moves them into a home decor appearance, whether that be fresh colors, changing out the sizes, uh, going with a different layout. Mm-hmm. Um, I like quilts that are achievable. I don't like designing patterns that are going to become UFOs mm-hmm. in somebody's storage cupboard because <laughs> um, <laughs> we all have enough of those. I, yeah. I want a quilt that, you know, I want people to be able to make my designs. So sometimes we scale things back. Um, got a little bit of a modern feel to that. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider myself being a modern quilt designer, but many of my designs do have that modern feel to them. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a fresh feel, you know, that they're not uh, the super traditional, they're not so heavy, um, so I, that's what I like, is that they just sort of take it to a little bit different level. Uh, 
what you know how you do a lot of teaching why do you love teaching you teach online you know with a lot of online classes so people anywhere can take your classes yeah and that's exactly why i i like teaching i like sharing um i've always been very thankful to those people who have shared their knowledge with me and i guess it's kind of a paying it forward or paying it back (laughs) however you want to look at it um but being able to share my knowledge with other people and using the online class venue um, just works really well for me it makes it available to anybody anywhere uh 24 7 you know Mm -hmm. uh, 365 days a year if you've got time at midnight and that's when you want to take your quilting (laughs) class I'm probably not going to be teaching you in person at midnight because I'm not going to be able to tell you what my name even is at midnight. Right. Um, Yeah. Don't ask me to do anything at midnight. But you know what? If that's what works for you or for a customer, um, then that's when they can be watching and learning and um, gaining from all the experience that I have. So on your website, do you have a spot where people can find all of the different, because you have, you have a lot, so, you know, all the different types of topics that you teach on? Yeah, I've got a link over um, that is, I think it's called Online Classes or Classes Available, and we'll take you to a direct link to um, an introduction or a preview of each of the classes. Ah, very good. So what is the newest one that you've, uh, that you've put out there? Uh, the newest online class that I have done was working with panels, and I taped mm-hmm. that last year. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty neat concept because I actually, in my Facebook group, just somebody the other day was having trouble with, you know, figuring out what to do with the panel. You know, she wanted to spiff it up and not just put borders on it. So um, you just show, how, what do you do in the class? Um, in, the, in that particular class, we're doing two different approaches, either working with the panel in its entirety where you're basically mm-hmm. adding borders. And sometimes with panels, they don't always come uh, pre-printed square to the world mm-hmm. so, or in standard <laughs> sizes. Mm-hmm. So we have to do some measuring. We have to do some of our own calculating. So I take mm-hmm. you through all those steps. And um, so a couple of class projects where we're using the whole panel and then also uh, cutting up the panel because mm-hmm. many panels are designed so that you can get sub motifs out of them mm-hmm. and some really neat ways to take those and come up with smaller projects. Uh, yeah, that's, that, is, that is a fun way to sort of address it in a different, um, you know, look at, look at the fabric in a different way. So there's always something kind of unique. So I have, I have a fun question for you since you did so much competition quilting. Uh, <laughs> if, you had to, if you had to pick your thread, your favorite thread, if you could name a thread color, that would be you. It would be Nancy Scott's thread color. What would it be? It would be Grand Champion Purple. Oh, <laughs> of course it would. And you'd have to hang it on your ribbon. They'd have to, like, you know, run the thing down the middle and hang it there, right? So. That's right. <laughs> now, you also are an author, so uh, what is your most recent book? Yeah, my first book that came out is T-Shirts, Memories, and More, and that relates to memory items, clothing, T-shirts, and photos. And I have a second book that is going to be coming out very, very soon um, called Ribbons and Rosettes. And what it is doing is working with award ribbons. Um, Growing up on a farm, I showed a lot of livestock. Um, I was a competitive person in sports, quilt shows. Um, I had boxes of ribbons. No, I am so surprised. (laughs) 
So what I wanted to do, and I have a lot of my friends are the same way. I mean, it's you just have gobs and gobs of ribbons, but you'd love to be able to display them or have them some way other than just in a box or hanging on a wall. So in my new book, I have pillows, wall hangings, and a bed runner that takes ribbons and rosettes and um, upcycles them or repurposes them, remakes them into something that is decorative. So can you give me just a tip on how to think about handling those ribbons? Because if you're sewing them to something, I mean, you need to stabilize them. How do they work? Yeah, what I'm doing, the approach that I'm taking is actually stitching them onto a foundation fabric oh. um, with either a straight stitch, a zigzag, or a buttonhole or machine applique stitch, kind of wanting to keep it broad enough depending on somebody's sewing machine capabilities and their skill level. Um, but then we're going to stitch everything down onto a foundation fabric. Okay. All right. You know, I've never worked with, I, apparently my family is a little little light on the competition, you know, stuff. We don't really have ribbons. So, uh, but, but I see people all the time asking that um, in my group because, you know, like you, they have, they have boxes and boxes of ribbons. Um, so what do you do for fun? Um, a couple of my hobbies, I just started learning photography, and right now it's at the stage where it really isn't fun because I'm, I'm <laughs> learning so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I haven't got fun. Um, I love doing genealogy. Um, I know that sounds weird, but, you know, just spending a day in a cemetery looking at tombstones and figuring out family roots, um, that's something that I really enjoy in doing that researchy part. Mm-hmm. And then um, also refinishing and upcycling furniture. So my husband and I both work on that, and we do some resale stuff, and I actually have one of my online classes gets into upcycling furniture with chalk paint. So, yeah, that's kind of my alter ego. So I'm either stitching (laughs) or I'm, you know, scrubbing away on some old antique trying to restore its finish. Right. Oh, my goodness. So, Nancy, this has been so much fun. Do you have a place like a contact place on your website for people to go to? Yeah, I sure do. My um, website is masterpiecequilting.com, and I'm always expanding it. It's kind of always a work in progress like any website. And then also I'm available on Facebook as Masterpiece Quilting. That's kind Super. of my, my home Thank place. you. Thank you so much, Nancy. You're welcome. Thanks a lot, Pat. This quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. To avoid mixing up various sized strips once cut, you can write the measurements on the strip selvages. Get two full years of American Patchwork and Quilting delivered right to your door for the price of one. That's a full year free. Every issue is packed with never-before-seen projects from top designers, detailed photography, complete materials lists, and easy-to-use pull-out patterns and quilting diagrams. Subscribe today at allpeoplequilt.com.
Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. Uh, I want to first, uh, before we go on to the second half of the show, tell you that the um, wonderful people at Moda and Martingale have a new Moda All-Star book. And we're doing a blog tour, uh, hop, giveaway, all kinds of fun stuff that started today, November 13th. Um, and <clears throat> you really need to get involved with this because... All of these all-star books that Moda does are supported charity. Each one has a different charity. And this time it's for Give Kids the World. Uh, and that is where the, the monies, the proceeds go from this book. So besides being a fabulous book and me, I'm in it. I get to work with all these other fabulous designers. Uh, this is something that uh, you can you can feel good about you know, and have fun. So you can find it either tomorrow is my day on the on the 14th or Moda's uh, blog right now. You can go to and, and get in. You have to go to every day. So, so that's the way it works, every single day. Now, the second half of the show, we're going to have <clears throat> some really fun uh, deep dive into embroidery, hand embroidery, uh, is exquisite, and I am in love with uh, Jan Vane's uh, work. And she is be- the the sort of force behind Graham Cracker um, Collections, which is her company name. And when I saw her book, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Embroidery and Patchwork Revisited. I need to know more about about her work. So, Jan, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be able to talk to you. So Jan, tell me a little bit about you know about your background. Just give me a little backstory. You know, have you done needlework since you were two years old, or you know, when did that happen? <laughs> well, not quite two years old. About five years old. My mom taught me um, how to sew, sitting by the sewing machine while she was stitching. So she's taught us handwork. All my sister, well, three. There's three of us, three girls, and she's taught all of us how to how to sew and stitch and. Um, so I just loved being able to sit there by the sewing machine and watch her stitch and couldn't wait to be able to get my fabric under that needle. <laughs> Did you? Do you still have your first sewing basket by any chance? I do not. I wish I do. I wish I had my first sewing machine, too. I, had, oh. um, I gave it to my um, stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. It was one of my favorite machines, so she still has it, which is a good thing. Well, at least you can visit it. You can, I can visit it once. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, my first sewing basket was um, is kind of pathetic, but I do have it. Um, oh, yeah, because it I got it uh, sometime probably in the sixties, so it's plastic, <laughs> and it's it's like bright blue <laughs> and orange. I oh, think. <laughs> I don't even remember what my first sewing basket was. I wish. I wish yeah. I had one though. I've got I, I've got a lot of them now with right? a lot of different projects in them. <laughs> so when did you start um, doing? You know, what, I mean, you are you were doing embroidery on quilts. I mean, did you did you quilt for a while and then add embroidery? What was sort of the process for you as a maker? Um, with the embroidered quilts, it really started um, when I was invited to teach at Elise and Cabbage's Applique Academy. Mm-hmm. I had been quilting at that point for a while and um, had taken some classes from Ellie, mm-hmm. and she saw some of the projects that I had, their needle books in my bag and 
portfolio and whatnot, and she invited me um, to do some ancillary projects for a book she was working on at the time, mm-hmm. which eventually led to teaching at the academy. And since there were so many well-known teachers um, teaching applique there, I felt like I really had to come up with something different and unique. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started adding embellishing embroidery to the to the applique blocks that we presented at the academy. So that's so for, really where the process began. So for that first one, you just felt like I needed to, you know, you, you're saying to yourself, I just need to find something a little bit more unique that's not already being offered. Um, did you uh, have like a, as, as a project that was already in progress or did you have to sort of figure out something? I figured out something. I took one of the, <laughs> I took um, one of the traditional. It was the Lovebirds in Song, I believe, was the block, mm-hmm. which was a wreath um, that had two lovebirds in the center of it with flowers that went around it. Typically, all applique, and I decided that that's where I would be able to add some dimensional flowers. They were uh-huh. little eeny bitsy, teeny-weeny, <laughs> half-inch flowers, embroidered stems, and I embroidered the birds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where, and it, it was, it fit right within with what they were doing at the Applique Academy, but it was something different. It wasn't mm-hmm. all Applique. There was that, the dimensional work that was involved in it. So uh, you you live in Florida, right, now? That's, I do. Yeah. I um, do. And, you know, a lot of the sort of, you know, Ellie is up in this, in Maryland, you know, above, right above me, uh, I'm in Virginia. And up in our, my area here, this is a really heavy, you know, when I first was learning, you know, Baltimore album quilts were like, like, that's how you learn to applique. You actually couldn't learn anything else. If you wanted to applique, you had to take a Baltimore album class. Um, how did you discover Baltimore albums? I mean, did you live somewhere where they, they were popular? Well, that came about where I did not like handwork at all. <laughs> my, my, no. my sewing background, really, my sewing background was a sewing machine, and mm-hmm. I could do everything really, really well on the sewing machine, including putting the binding on by machine that looked mm-hmm. really good. Um, a friend of mine introduced me to the Dear Jane quilt. Oh. And I fell in love with it, those little four-and-a-half-inch blocks. It was like doing individual little quilt blocks. One point, though, she let me in on the secret that there were applique blocks on that quilt too. Oh, <laughs> and I went, no, that's that a word, handwork. And she said, yeah, you need to do some applique. And she loved applique. Mm-hmm. She did beautiful work. Did app. Um, Baltimore album blocks, and she really encouraged me to take a class. So I took a class with Mary Sorensen. And it was a 180-degree turnaround for me. I just fell in love with hand applique. And I really have not looked back as far as doing handwork. I I just, my sewing machine is probably a little dusty. Mm -hmm. I still love doing piecing. I Mm -hmm. love small piecing, and I love challenging um, small, intricate designs. But I do love my handwork. I do love to sit and stitch by hand. My sister also was the one. She probably was the first one that introduced me to the Baltimore block. She was working on a Baltimore album quilt, designing it, taking classes and learning the history behind it and how Mm -hmm. to design your own blocks. 
and I was intrigued by it. She shared Ellie's books with me that I brought home and looked at and wound up sending them back to her and said, they're really nice, but not anything I'll ever do. Uh, Yeah, lots of work. Never say never. Right. (laughs) So that's really, those are probably the two two places that um, I picked up on the Baltimore album. You know, at, at one point, those the Baltimore albums were, you know, I think everything goes in phases, you know, and there's always people who are engaged in no matter what sort of craft it is. Um, you know, like right now, I, you know, Baltimore album quilts or these sort of heavy applique or even longer embroidery quilts, they'll take a little bit more time than, you know, a quick pieced project or even a medium-sized pieced project. Uh, what are you seeing, you know, like are people... It's still really heavily stitching this this type of work where we're in your environment not in my area um, yeah d- down here it's the modern quilts are very popular here um, brights obviously mm-hmm. I guess just because of where we're at here in Florida so yeah. there's not a lot of the intricate piecing handwork there are some pockets throughout the state mm-hmm. um, feathered princesses in tampa is one they're still involved a lot in the baltimore album quilts but i think it's more the the modern quilts are are what's happening here in florida and it's like so wonderful that we have the internet so that we can all find yep. those people who love what we love <laughs> Yes, definitely, definitely. I really do stay in touch that way. I wish I'm not involved in a quilt guild. We have some wonderful guilds here in Florida, right here in Jacksonville where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Um, But because of work and um, trying to keep up with Graham Cracker Collection, I work with my husband also. It's kind of, Mm -hmm. I'm on a little time restraint, traveling and teaching. And, yeah, so the Internet, um, social media is really great for me to be able to stay in touch with what's, what's going on. Around the world. Around the world. I know. I know. There are just people <laughs> who do so much different work, but they're all in their in their they're all over the place. So the internet lets us all come together. Um, so let's talk about. You know, we're doing two segments here this afternoon, Jan. So that's nice. We get to to you know explore this a little bit. Talk to me about um, how you do. You use vintage quilts as inspiration. Do you look at them for for stitching? I do use them for inspiration. I love I love the old quilts. I, I really am a traditionalist. Um, the Embroidery and Patchwork Revisited book that you like was based on an antique quilt that I found at market one year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just, I've always loved crazy quilts. Never again, there's that word, never thought <laughs> I'd make one. Always intrigued by them. But um, I didn't see myself doing the buttons and the lace and mm-hmm. the, the fancy stuff that you see on a lot of the album, uh, the crazy quilts. But this particular one was nothing but fabric and thread. Oh. And it, when I started studying it, there were, she used... Ten thread colors, that was all. She used a limited number of stitches throughout the quilt, which was intriguing. A lot of them repeated over and over again. Mm -hmm. Limited designs, all of which we replicated in the book, the designs Mm -hmm. and 
the stitches that she used. So it was interesting studying it, and the stitches were done with like a cruel wool um, oh. yarn is what she used to stitch it. And there's some. there was a lot of stitching on that quilt, just beautifully done and pieced. Another unique thing about the quilt was that it was quilted. Crazy mm-hmm. quilts are not typically quilted. Oh, oh okay. Quilted. What, was it heavily quilted? Or it wasn't heavily quilted, but okay. it's got a good a, a a good amount of quilting on it. I mean, the fan mm-hmm. was all quilted. All so when you turn it off over on the back, you do see the fan. You see the outline of the blocks. Oh. Um, yeah, so it's it that was unique in and of itself. So that was another thing that drew me to that quilt. Um, so, so I do. I, I, go ahead. <laughs> So I, you do use, I do use the yeah. antique quilts, yep, as inspiration. So do you, do you, so you bought this quilt then too? Did you, or did you just keep going back to the booth? And, <laughs> I did. Let me sketch well, this. it was, I was coming, it was, it was, a, it was at market and I was coming up the escalator. <laughs> it was set up day mm-hmm. and they already had their booth set up and it was right at the top of the escalator, and this quilt was hanging right in the center of their booth. Oh. And I got off the el- the escalator and just stood there with my mouth hanging open. There was yeah. nobody else around, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but as soon as I, it was um, Carolyn and Dawn, mm-hmm. who I've come to know really well, and so when I did catch up with them, I said, I've got to have this quilt. Oh. So there's a picture of them. In fact, in the front of the book. Oh, that's there's fabulous! That is so but, fabulous. Yeah. Uh, there's another quilt in that book that also is an antique, and that one is made with and replicated. We did replicate it. it was made with four and a half inch fan blocks squares mm-hmm. that were all embellished, and that quilt was done in 1897, I think, is the date on that quilt. So mm-hmm. that one inspired another project in the book too. You know what we're going to do, um, Jan, is here in a in a in I don't know thirty seconds or so. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, I um, can we sort of talk sort of detail a little bit more detail on stitching, you know, and maybe um, some tips and things that that you've found over the years. Sure. Okay. So when that we come. Good. Yeah, when we come back, we'll go a little deeper into sort of the technique of embroidery, and. Uh, you're all going to want to really look at Embroidery and Patchwork Revisited by Janice Fain. American Patchwork and Quilting on Facebook for daily quilting inspiration, tips, giveaways, and more. Find us at facebook.com backslash APQ magazine. This quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. Press and seal can be used to hold pieced units in place before sewing together.
Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and I'm talking to Jan Vane from Graham Cracker Collection. So, Jan, let's talk actual, you know, tools, some tips for embroidery. Um, I've never done, like, a massive amount. I do more like what I call stitchery. You know what I mean by stitchery? You know, it's sort of like primitive. Um, okay. You know, sort of casual. That's casual. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I haven't really mastered some of the, you know, or even tried a lot of the more beautiful things. It's just sort of like line work. Um, and so I, I, you know, I would trace like with a light box, but I think you have some more sophisticated tracing methods for the type of things that you're doing to figure out and plan. Can you sort of talk me through a little bit about that? Okay, the transfer method for the for the designs. I think that I think um, that you know rather than use you know tracing it like with a light box, you use a totally different method. I do. I use well depending on the fabric. There's a couple different things that I do, but one that I like to do, especially if it's on the cotton, is I like using a product called Low Cornell Transfer Paper, mm-hmm. um, and then the Sew Line Trio Pencil. Those are my two go-to tools that I always have with me. And it's the transfer paper reminds me of carbon paper that we used oh. to use on the typewriter. Okay. Um, so you can just place it down on top of your fabric, place the pattern on top of the transfer paper, and then there's a tracer pen in that trio pencil from Sewline. Mm. There's a black lead, a white lead, and there's ceramic leads, and then the tracer. And you just use the tracer to trace the design right onto the fabric. So mm-hmm. it's right there for you to use. Yeah. It's most, tra- most embroidery stitches are going to cover up your line, so I'm not mm-hmm. worried about it washing out. It doesn't smear. It doesn't mm-hmm. smudge. Um, it's very user-friendly, and it's the only transfer paper that I recommend. I don't recommend any of the others because I have had some... Mm-hmm. Um, Heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> but, but the the low Cornell transfer paper is is it's an artist transfer paper. It's okay. used for a lot of lot of different artist techniques. Okay, so I know that you carry it um, uh, at your website, and um, so it might be art stores too might have it. Yes, the art stores carry it. Um, you can even find it at Joanne's Fabrics in their art oh. department. They do oh, okay. carry the the black. Um, it comes in black and white, so it makes it great for a dark background. I mean, ah. you can do things black or red or blue because you do have the option to use the white. And oh, then that's black, cool. Of course, for the lighter fabrics, yeah. Yeah, it's that's always. Product. Yeah, that's always a. I, I've never really um, known about that, so that's cool. I'm going to have to get some. I have to try that out. Uh, when when people have sort of done what I've done, sort of basic stitches, maybe I've done a daisy chain or two, you know, where do, where do you suggest that someone like me goes to learn a bit more? Like what is like my stepping stone embroidery stitches to try next? There's really some basic stitches to learn. And once you learn those basic stitches, it's really your springboard to others. A lot of them involve combinations of those basic stitches. Or they're, for instance, the chain stitch. There's so many variations to the chain stitch, which mm-hmm. is a, 
a continuation of the lazy daisy stitch. Mm-hmm. So instead of one, they also call it the detached chain stitch or the lazy daisy stitch. So instead of one of those chains, the chain stitch is just a line of chain stitches, a row of them. Um, the chain stitch, the stem stitch, I would say the colonial um, or French knots. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do, just add a little bit of ribbon in there that you can do with the ribbon or the thread. All of those stitches would work. You'd also want to learn the ribbon stitch. And I think with those stitches, there's a lot that you could accomplish from very basic-looking stitching, primitive stitching, to um, more elegant stitching. Those mm-hmm. are pretty much the basic stitches to use. Now, you also have a nice little handbook called Hand Embroidery Stitches at a Glance. Um, is that that's sort of like a guidebook, right? It's uh, yes. It's it's some of the basic stitches that you'd use repeatedly over and over again. Can do combination stitches, especially if you're doing the crazy quilt. That's where you would use combinations of those stitches on your seam lines to cover mm-hmm. them. And I think there's 60 stitches in that little booklet, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So it's a great pocket book to have in your stitching bags, sewing basket that you can refer to again and again. We tried to, I tried really hard when I do my stitches to give you how to start them Mm -hmm. and how to end them. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that's the the hard part. Um, So most of the stitches in that book show you how to start the stitch and then how to end it. Ah, you know, that's interesting because I think when you were saying that, I thought, yeah, I'm nodding my head. Yes. That's like, start. How do I start this stitch? I've forgotten. That's like. <laughs> and I go back. There's many times. I've got one. I have a lot of those, and they're in all my sewing bags because sometimes there's a stitch I just go, you just kind of draw a blank. Okay, I know how to do this stitch. I've done it a 100 times. How do I start that stitch? Right. So every once in a while, I open that book up myself and go, okay, yep, that's it. I remember. Yeah, now I remember. So what what is the foundation that you're working on? Because when you're, you're handling it a lot, especially if you have a lot of embroidery on a piece, um, do you need to stabilize it? Do you have, like, layers of cotton that you're embroidering on top of? It, dep- it depends on what I'm doing, what, what it's for and where it's going. The... Embroidery and patchwork revisited quilts were done with cotton, mostly cottons, but they were done on a foundation of flannel. Mm. So that particular the quilt that's on the cover of the book was done that way, and the flannel served as the batting for the quilt. Oh, okay. Typically in a crazy quilt, there's typically not a layer of batting. So by having that flannel in there, giving us a little firmer foundation, um, that's how we we supported that. Now, some of the other projects that I have done, I've done just on the cotton. Mm-hmm. Most of them are embroidered in a hoop. Oh, okay. If you hoop correctly, where you're not distorting the grain of the fabric, it can work. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need to. That's that's something I really like to teach teach my beginners is how to 
hoop correctly, not up in the air, but on a flat surface. And we typically want to start pulling on the sides of the fabric to pull the fabric down inside the hoop to get it mm -hmm. nice and smooth and straight, which distorts the grain of the fabric. So mm -hmm. if you stitch a or embroider a circle, you take it out of the hoop and you go, well, how did I get an oval? Mm -hmm. um, or you stitch <laughs> it square and you wind up with a rectangle. That's how it happens. Yeah. So it's important to hoop it correctly if you are going to hoop or going to hoop. So what is one of the more tricky stitches to learn that, that you find a lot of people that, you know, sort of stumble on? One, one that most people want to learn how to do when they see it, a little more advanced <laughs> stitch is the spiral trellis stitch, Oh, which is a beautiful, it's a really pretty stitch. It's worked in a circle. It's not really tricky, but... You yeah. do need to know how the threads lay over top of it. The other one is the long and short stitch, mm -hmm. which is just a straight stitch. That's all it is. But it's you you paint with the threads. Mm. So you're taking a short stitch, then a long stitch, and a short stitch, and a long stitch. And then the next row, you're kind of um, melting into the stitches above it, doing mm -hmm. the, the long and short stitches below it. That one is just, that's exquisite. I mean, they write books on just that stitch. <laughs> so that's probably, even though it's a simple stitch to form, a straight mm -hmm. stitch, it's just an exquisite um, stitch to be able to paint on your fabric with your threads. Yeah. So I, it, you, you're pretty detail-oriented, I take it. I am. You have? Yes. <laughs> I, do like, I do like the details. <laughs> so for a detail oriented person you you know you probably have a lot of tools for this you know you have ribbons and threads and needles and all that stuff how do you um store all of that um i have found the best thing for me is i've got to be able to store it so that i can see it because mm. it's like anything else if i can't see it i'm not going to use it so my ribbons are on rings that are hanging on pegboard, mm -hmm. which actually makes a pretty display. Oh, it sounds also. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my threads I keep in clear containers so mm -hmm. that I can um, pull them off, and then they're stacked on my, my bookcases in my, in my sewing study um, so that I can pull them out. And, you know, they're color-coordinated, so I'm mm -hmm. able to pull them out and to use them to know mm -hmm. what they are. Neat. So yeah, that's, that's go ahead. <laughs> that's that's a tricky part in organizing yeah. all that. Yeah. Because they're they're small. Everything is kind of small, and you know, you they can get. I can imagine it gets messy very quickly if you don't figure something it gets, out. <laughs> it gets very messy very quickly. Matter mm -hmm. of fact, I have. Um, I was straight straightening my sewing studio these past couple of weeks and one of the projects that I worked on was spring tapestry and each block I had the individual threads and whatnot in little baggies and so the project's been done for over a year so it's really time to put those threads back where oh. they belong in ribbons mm -hmm. yeah so they're all on my cutting table right now to be put back mm. in their their home bins yeah yeah, yeah that especially when you're designing. It's just like quilting. I mean, you pull fabric uh -huh. out, and you've got all this fabric playing there. Mm -hmm. So with those little bits of pieces of ribbons and threads, yeah, they it can get really messy really quick. <laughs> 
So, Jan, here to, 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 towards the end, would you tell us about uh, where people can maybe find you to do, to take some workshops? Yes. Um, well, I teach on a regular basis at Cinnamon's Quilt Shop in Jacksonville, Florida, and typically my classes are once a month. So we do have ladies that travel, mm-hmm. um, especially within the state. Um, Mm -hmm. because they're normally half-day classes. The way I teach is when we work on a project or block, I typically teach the techniques, Mm -hmm. not that we're working on the block itself. Mm -hmm. um, So that uh, that allows people to travel. Mm -hmm. Um, They can go to my website, which is www.grahamcrackercollection.com, and there's um, my teaching schedule so they can see where I'll be teaching around the country. Um, and you have something called Tea and Stitches. We have about a minute. What is that? Oh, Tea and Stitches is the annual retreat that I host, and we're really excited about our new venue, which is going to be on Amelia Island starting in the spring, and we're going to have a bed and breakfast house there. Wow. Um, so we'll have the whole weekend. We'll have old English teas in the afternoon. With Everybody has their own china teapot and teacup and Ooh. huge wraparound <laughs> porch so we can sit out on the porch and sit and stitch. And we're in walking distance to downtown Fernandina, which is filled with antique stores and a lot of mom-and-pop restaurants from low end to high end as far as price ranges so we're just really really excited and close to the beach we're we're within walking distance to the beach too so we're well, really excited about that new venue and everybody can find that at jan's site um under that class tab that she told you about jan thank you so much for being here Pat, thank you so much. It went so quick. I know. I know. It goes quick. Everybody can uh, visit Jan at GrahamCrackerCollection.com and, you know, follow along with what she's doing. And I'm Pat Sloan for American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. You can find me. I have a Facebook group online called Quilt Along with Pat Sloan. And follow uh, allpeoplequilt.com. Get their newsletter. And next week uh, we'll have another show for you right here, same time. See you then. to visit allpeoplequilt.com for more information on topics from today's show, as well as how-to videos, free printable patterns, and additional tips and techniques. Thanks for listening to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio.